Welcome back to Banana Split. If you're here, I am so glad that you're returning and that you're still interested in coming along with me in this weird attempt to find myself or maybe just talk into the void, potentially. Before we get too far into anything, I think I should probably introduce myself a little better in case there's anyone who doesn't personally know me who happens upon this podcast. I don't want you to be so terribly confused. (laughs) My name is Haley Christensen, and I am a sophomore at Brigham Young University. I am a writer. I'm actually doing this podcast as part of a final project for a women's lit class, and it's not something I ever imagined myself doing, but when I was given free creative reign with this project, it was something that I, I really wanted as to do. A writer, a performer, and an artist in different ways. As a college student, I'm an English major, so writing is pretty much my main focus, which is why this format is so out of the box for me. I normally just write final papers, but for my women's literature class, my professor gave me free reign to do something really creative to explore and try to parse out the details of my life and I guess sort of my biography. It sounds weird to say that it's sort of a biographical project because, I mean, I'm 20. Not many 20-year-olds can have a good biography, and I don't think I would either. But this allows me to kind of dig deeper into just a small part of who I am and explore that in a lot more detail and in a more raw format. Because with writing, I'm able to edit things a million times. And if I come across a sentence that I think is too personal or that I don't think other people will like, I can just delete it or rephrase it in a more appealing way. Whereas with this audio, I can edit it to a certain degree. I can cut things out. But there's a certain level of personal connection that is always going to be there just because it is my voice and me speaking directly into this microphone. Today, I thought I would take a different approach to talking about myself and focus more on my Asianness. And the way I want to do that is by bringing in a very close friend of mine who grew up with me in high school and attempt to dig into some of those conversations and see how we relate on the level of just being Asian and how she sees me as an Asian person. She's a very insightful person, and so I'm sure she will be able to teach me some things about myself that I don't even realize. And this person is my lovely friend, Erica Britton, who was adopted from China as a baby, grew up in Arizona just like me, And she's just one of the most amazingly intelligent, artistic, and kind people that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. So I'm glad we're able to talk to her today. Okay, so let's just dive right into it. First of all, I want to give a little background on how we met. Because, uh, not that it's super interesting, but gives a little context to our relationship. So we met our freshman year in Mr. Dubas's biology class. Is that correct? Yes, honors freshman bio, seventh <laughs> hour. 
<laughs> oh, seventh hour, you're right. That's why I was always falling asleep in that class. <laughs> <laughs> that and I hate biology. Nothing's changed. Yeah, mood. So what did you think of me when you first met me? If you can remember. <sighs> I know, I'm trying to think back. I think I remember walking in um, either the first day of classes or, like, you know, early on in the semester and just kind of noticing. I was like, okay, cool, another Asian. That's fun. <laughs> um, but we, like, we didn't sit next to each other because it was split up all, you know, whatever, seating charts. Um, and I think that's kind of the only time we interacted with you. And I don't know if it was after the first choir concert, some sort of choir event. Then I was like, oh, she's in choir because my sister was also in choir with you. And so then I was like, oh, okay, like that's Haley. Like uh, uh, my sister's talked about her before. And I think at that point, we'd also kind of interacted in class a little bit and I know we got moved to like, sit next to each other and really my like lasting or <laughs> I don't want to say my first impression of you was just like wow she's smart and she sleeps during class a lot <laughs> did I really sleep that much during class I don't know if you did or if that's just like because I remember uh-huh. when we sat next to each other and you would fall asleep like me and Kaylee yeah. who's a friend of ours who sat next to us uh, you were in the middle of the two of us, um, and any time Mr. Dukas would look over, like, one of us would kind of, like, nudge you, or, oh like, pretend gosh. that we were, like, talking to you to make it look like you were awake. Oh, gosh. If Mr. Dubis ever listens to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember waking up and looking straight at him, too, and just us looking at each other and both knowing, but not acknowledging that I definitely didn't <laughs> asleep until that moment. It's okay, you got good grades. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Used to. Uh, One of your first thoughts about me was that you recognized that I was also Asian. Yes. I just want to know, did you immediately, just from how I looked, know I was Asian? Or did I say something that made you recognize I was Asian? I know it's probably a confusing question, but... (laughs) No, no, no. I I get it. Um, I think it was just, you know, how you look. So I'm just going to say it. You got some of those trademark, more East Asian features. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about this and trying to remember, you know, my first thoughts when meeting you. I didn't know, you know, quote, unquote, what kind of Asian you were. Mm. And I think my sister told me that you were Korean or you said you were Korean or something. Someone told me you were Korean. Maybe it was you. Maybe it wasn't you. Some I learned you were Korean. Yes. Um, and then I saw, at a choir event, I saw your mom standing in the line of people going inside mm-hmm. with, I think, Ava, uh, yeah. your younger sister. But I saw her, and she said, oh, hi, Erica. And she were talking to me, and I was like, oh, hi. And she's like, yeah, I'm Haley's mom. And I was like, oh. And I had a weird thought. I was like, um... Is, is Haley adopted? <laughs> she looks, you know, pretty Korean to me, but this lady, this very nice lady, is not very Korean. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so then I went home, and I was, like, talking to my sister. I said, is Haley adopted? She was, no. I was like, oh, okay. And so then I learned that you were uh, half white. So um, um, I forget what the first question was, but that was one of my <laughs> early 
interactions with figuring out exactly, you know, where your ethnic identity lies. (laughs) Yeah, and that's interesting because, of course, you're adopted. And so Mm -hmm. we both have that weird experience of being Asian and looking somewhat Asian, but we both have (laughs) white mothers, or Mm -hmm. mostly white mothers. I know your mom's Hispanic, too. Yeah, and it is confusing, I think, for, I don't know, I don't want to say other people necessarily, but I think being seen with your family and seeing a parent who doesn't look how you expect the parent of a Asian-looking child to physically be, I think that is a little confusing to other people. And it's had some interesting responses just from, you know, my end of being adopted, Um, but I don't know what kind of interactions you and your mom have had out in public. There was always this funny thing that people would say, and to think of a specific example, we were dress shopping once, and the lady working there came up, asked us if we needed anything, and then she was just making small talk, and she said, oh, your husband must be so beautiful, like, he must have great genes. I was like, what a weird (laughs) thing to say. Oh, it's so awkward. So awkward. Yeah, how awkward for my mom. Like, yep, it was all him. All the beauty that's here. I think she called us exotic. She said, oh, they look so exotic. Oh, no. Me and my sister. Oh, I hate that word. Yeah, well, and the hard thing, too, especially with so many conversations about microaggressions, things like that, I would consider to be a microaggression, but it's not with any malicious intent and I, you know, I'm sure that one was, you know, that was a compliment in her mind it's like oh you know that's like a such a positive like descriptor but it's hard when this kind of language and these kind of phrases and ways to think about Asians in America is to call them exotic or any other ethnicity that's not white you know, to be exotic it's really well difficult you know but we're I think society's progressing we're having conversations about that <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's one of those words that makes you feel weird. Yeah, yeah. All right, since we're on the topic of exotic women and how that's how the world can see Asian and mixed people, such as me and you, I thought we should talk about what happened in Atlanta this past month, the horrific shooting that took place there, and how it's really rooted in the fetishization of Asian women. Mm-hmm, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I wouldn't even feel such a need to talk about this on this platform, except that I felt personally attacked by people in my life when I would bring up the topic right after it happened, and they would try and say that it wasn't motivated by race in any way. And did you have people say something similar to you? Actually, I would say no, but I think that's more just because of the community of people that I talk to majority of the time, because I am part of a on-campus ministry at the University of Arizona called Epic Movement, which is an Asian American branch of Campus Crusades for Christ, which is a college ministry that is across the U.S. and international. And so after that shooting happened, some of the leaders of Epic made like, announcements and like said, you know, if you need to talk about this, you know, to process what happened, and you know, we can talk about this anti-Asian hate. Like, this is a space where we can do that. And so, after that happened, a lot of the people that I talked to, they weren't denying that it was racially motivated. 
And they weren't denying that there was a lot of systemic issues that were rooted in this act of violence or that were contributing to the defense of the man's actions. And so I think in that way, I was very fortunate to have that kind of support and acknowledgement, even when I wasn't addressing that exactly or spending a lot of time myself thinking about that. But I had other people who were talking about it, and I had other people who could help me react and understand the situation. But I think it's interesting that you, you were saying that you didn't have that, so were you getting that reaction from your family, other students, or, or you know, just like on social media? Yeah, I think it's part of being a person of color on BYU campus, honestly is that you don't have the support that you necessarily need all the time. And in fact, this is interesting because this podcast is part of a project for my women's lit class, and my professor, Kristen Matthews, was the first person to ask me how I was doing after the shooting happened. I had a meeting with her the next morning, and she asked me about it, and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this and this and this, and just talked to her for a bit. But she was the first person outside of, like, an immediate friend that I had reached out to to ask me how I was feeling at that point. Which Can I ask, is mm-hmm. your professor a person of color or are they white? So, no, she is a white woman, but okay. I just think she's very aware of her students and especially her students that don't exactly fit the BYU... Uh, I don't want to call it a status quo because that's such a cliche thing to say, but, you know, not the... The majority. Yeah, not in the binary. hmm So that was interesting to me. And after that, I started to see things, obviously, on social media. I had friends mm-hmm. posting stories saying, yes, it was a tragedy, but it had nothing to do with race. And even in some of my classes, and someone said, I don't want to minimize these people's deaths but you can't use it as an excuse to call someone racist. And that just made me, ugh, the biggest eye roll. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's kind God, of... that's frustrating. Yeah, that's kind of just the environment at BYU. Is it's conservative, and so as soon as people hear anything about someone being racist, they don't necessarily want to call it racism. Mm-hmm. So I do wish I had something of a support group around me you know you are one of my closest asian friends and i have a couple other asian friends who i'm close to but none of them are on campus right now because of covid my two close asian friends at byu are not within my immediate circle i can't just run to them and sometimes you don't want to call them because you feel like oh this is just an issue i'm having yeah i don't know if this is off topic for what you want to be talking about but how did your family like did your family talk about it at all or did they check in on you or did you bring it up to them or anything i think i probably brought it up to my mom although i wouldn't say she was unaware of it i think we probably talked about it together but i don't think we really talked about it much it's hard to breach those topics with my parents sometimes and Mm-hmm. I know that we have very similar political views and views of society. And so when I talked to them about it, it was, man, this was messed up. That guy's crazy. He deserves to be punished, etc., etc. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. 
So nothing too in-depth, but it is nice knowing that they are on my side of the argument if I was to need backup. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I hadn't like, thought about... I know we've, we've talked about how difficult it is for you being in the... Um, the, I'm going to say minority, but, you know, <laughs> going to a, a majority white school and being mm-hmm. Asian, and my apologies for this, too, totally me dropping the ball as well, but, you know, I don't think we've really talked about this whole lot. So where do you find your support system? Or, do, you know, you've mentioned having a few friends who are Asian at BYU. Are those really your only connections to other Asians yeah. on campus or nearby? I think they are. I feel like I'm having a realization as I'm talking to you that I probably don't talk about my feelings in relation to being Asian American enough or maybe even at all usually, which is very sad to say. But even with the shootings, I didn't talk to anyone except for those couple of friends I have who I knew would relate to me and those casual kind of passing conversations with my parents. And that is partially on me because I need to reach out to people. But also I think that the environment I'm in, I don't have many people to turn to. And I even get annoyed sometimes with myself and I'm just like, oh my gosh, get over it. You don't need to talk to anyone about this. You're being very dramatic. And so instead I just turn whatever issues I have into this is a me problem because I'm the only Asian person in my apartment and the only Asian person in some of my classes. I guess I just don't feel like I have anyone that immediately comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. Being usually the only Asian, do you feel or have you had the experience of with all of these things happening, people come to you and be like, you know, how how should I respond to this? Or, you know, you're Asian, like, what what should my response be? You know, how, how can I do better? Have you had any of those kind of interactions with people? Oh, I definitely have. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and sometimes I really appreciate when people reach out to me. Like I said, my professor reached out, and it was right after it happened, and it felt good that someone had just asked me about it at all. And then... <laughs> A couple days later, I had an experience with one of my roommates, and she asked me about it, and I had a totally different reaction. I was just annoyed, and I think it was just that she came up and said, oh, I heard about the shootings in Atlanta. What can I do for you? How are you doing? And it felt so pitying to me, and also it was a little more distance from the actual event that for some reason my brain's immediate reaction was, I don't know, it flipped a switch where I was like, I'm fine, don't talk to me about it, it's fine, it happened, it was awful, you don't need to coddle me, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that reaction was just kind of your personal reaction, or do you think that, that was that's influenced by the idea in Asian communities that we don't share pain that you put on a brave face that you you have to always be the best possible presentation and you can't be vulnerable. Was that kind of your feeling or do you think that that was more of just your personal response and just not 
the reaction that you were wanting from that friend. That's interesting because my family will always tell you that I am an emotional person, but I don't think that I have a tendency to show my emotions to anyone but my family and maybe my very close friends. And so I think part of it is that I was like, okay, we're not going to have a deep conversation right now, and we never will have a deep conversation about this because my business and, like you said, kind of the Asian stoicism of I'm not going to show myself in that condition to you because it's not the place or the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, now I feel bad. I need to go apologize to my roommate (laughs) (laughs) for something that happened a while ago. (laughs) But also I think part of it was that this roommate and other people I know were posting a lot of things on their stories, their Instagram stories, you know, those nice little images with you have to stand up for Asian Americans, Asian hate is real, you know the kind. Yeah. And I don't think people should criticize people purely for posting those on their stories because you shouldn't activism shame. But at the same time, it just made me less receptive to what she had to say because I was like, well, what do you really want to do? You already posted our things on your stories and now you're just going to talk to me about my feelings. What's that going to do? Mm-hmm. So definitely a personal problem there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that kind of thought process, I've been having a similar thing, not necessarily with other people. I think just think about my own reactions to, you know, last summer with the strong resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement um, and a lot of, like you're saying, social media activism and a lot of things of just, you know, pointing out all of the horrible things going on, which I think is good that people are talking about it, but it's overwhelming. But between everything that's been happening in social activism this last year, I feel like I've found myself falling into a loop of, okay, something horrible, something devastating, catastrophic happens. It gets posted about on Instagram. You have to repost. You have to show that you're in the know. You're educated. And then you have to reach out to someone. Because, you know, all those posts say, check in on your Asian American friends. Check in on your black friends. You know, check in on whoever is part of this community that's just been affected by this event. And so Mm -hmm. kind of, at this point, I was starting to recognize a sort of, like, kind of checklist that my my response was having. No, you're so right. Yeah, and my roommate even posted that exact one, the check-in on your Asian friends, and that is probably part of why I was so ticked at her. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, I had a kind of similar thing where a friend from my classes this past semester, and we had another class this semester, after it happened, she, like, said, you know, you've been on my mind, which we have been talking back and forth, so I didn't quite really think about that. She's like, how are you doing? I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing okay, and then we talked about the shootings, and I was like, yeah, it's really horrible and I'm still trying to figure out like how I'm responding to it and she's like yeah you know if you need anything like let me know you know I can hear if you supporting you and praying for you she's also Christian and so I was like that was kind of really nice and then when I started seeing more of those posts like checking on your Asian friends I didn't devalue my friend reaching out but that just got me thinking about I don't want to say the skeptical nature of support because I think someone taking the time and effort to reach out and make sure you're okay because something that's happened is traumatic. I don't want to devalue that, but there's the question of why did you need this event happening to check in on your friends who are in a minority group? Why Would you reach yeah, out if you hadn't seen that post sort of feeling? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a way bigger conversation, but it's just one of those things where I'm realizing I, yeah, I am Asian American and I didn't give that much thought growing up. It's kind of it's last year. I'm just realizing there's a lot more that comes with that and being Asian in America, that comes with a lot of things too that I'm figuring out and I've talked to my parents about this. It's, I don't want to say any more difficult having parents who aren't Asian, but it is different. Like I feel more removed because I didn't grow up with the direct link to culture. I didn't grow up with like the family mm-hmm. dynamics, even though I grew up surrounded by that because I grew up in a Chinese church and a lot of families were very traditional, you know, like first-gen immigrants or second-generation. So I understood things, but I didn't experience it. And so I think my reaction to a lot of things that have been happening was like, I don't know if I can feel these things because, yes, I am Asian-American, but I didn't grow up with these experiences. And like, I don't feel like I can claim ownership of or claim part of this pain and and feel genuine. So it's, I don't know, it's a very messy situation and it's, I think, just part of growing up and figuring myself out, but it's (laughs) it's weird. I I definitely relate to the not knowing how much you can claim or if you can claim certain feelings, and that's what this is all about, is just talking it out, because I certainly don't have any idea where I lie on the Asian scale. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because your dad is Korean, but he's also adopted, Mm so... Yeah. So how is that going for you? (laughs) You know that in the past... Just even since high school, I feel like I've been trying to immerse myself more in Korean culture. And mm-hmm. growing up, my, my parents would buy me the occasional hanbok, or my aunt would get me. She bought me a hanbok once. And so we do that, and we'd go out to eat Korean food every once in a while. My mom knew how to make Korean food, so we would have it. But I didn't feel a super strong connection with Korea or that identity and I'm kind of working on that it's kind of a work in progress for me I'm taking Korean right now at BYU which is kicking my butt by the way learning Asian <laughs> language stinks <laughs> it's it's awesome because I've met a lot of people who really appreciate the culture but it also is just I sometimes sit in class and I hear a sentence and I think to myself, I don't know what that means. And then my brain goes from that to you should know what it means. You should have been speaking Korean since you were a baby. You're not Korean enough. That's why you can't understand this. As if, Mm -hmm. even if I didn't grow up speaking Korean, that if I step into a Korean class and hear those words, my blood should just make me able to understand it. Your ancestors will just rise from the grave and their spirit will fill you with Korean-speaking yes. knowledge. Mulan-style, my ghosty ancestors will come out <laughs> from their graves. <laughs> but I don't have that, and sometimes it does make it hard. Oh, my gosh. That reminds me. The other day, one of my classmates said, Ugh, I just wish I was Korean and could speak Korean. And I kind of said under my breath, Well, I am Korean and I'm here. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. And I know she didn't mean it in any malicious way, but it did give me an uncomfy feeling of, so am I not Korean because I'm here learning with you? Yeah. 
I know that's not true in my heart, but sometimes when people say things like that, it just reaffirms worries that I have and doubts I have in myself and in who I am. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for joining me, Erica. I really enjoy getting to talk to you. And hopefully you you for having me. You regret too much (laughs) because... It's all going in. Yeah, I will cut nothing. (laughs) Uh, Spoiler alert, I had to cut quite a bit because we did talk for almost two hours just about identity and about things that really interest us in regards to our race and things that stick out to us when we're reading books and when we're watching movies. So if you're interested in hearing about any of that, particularly our conversation on representation in media, let me know because all that footage is there and I'm sure Erica would be willing to talk even more about all of that. Just in closing, I want to reiterate again that this whole process is progressive for me and I'm learning as I go and today I came to some realizations about how I connect with other people in regard to my race and how I see the way people reach out to me in different ways. And I think that all calls for improvement. And I look forward to looking back on this again and again and reminding myself of the things that I need to keep on doing. Thank you again for listening and I hope I'll see you here for our next episode.